We got two preachers in the audience. This should be good. It's gonna be go. It's gonna go well. I can feel it. Our text this morning from God's holy, good, glorious, always true word is Genesis chapter four. We've been walking through the book of Genesis for a while. I don't know how long we'll be walking. But I do know this, I'm not planning on preaching the entire 50-some chapters, because uh, it would take us far too long, and even I would get bogged down in the tediousness of it. Yeah, yeah, three years or so should, should do us. Um, I envy the men, I was just talking, I actually asked this question at the preaching seminar I was at, how we have this disprivilege in modern times of not having multiple services during the week, you know. Up until 20 years ago, everybody had at least two services on Sunday, and usually a prayer meeting or something midweek. And then if you go back 100 years, 150 years, you had services all week long. And so you could preach and preach and preach and preach and get the whole book preached through in your lifetime as a pastor. And now we get, well, I take uh, 40 minutes or so. We get 35, and I take 40. And once a week... And we have the entirety of Scripture to cover. Um, So it is a difficult task uh, to figure out how best to feed the sheep. But I think going through the book of Genesis, the first few chapters, is helpful. So with all that unnecessary jargon, here is the Word of God. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother, Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. 
And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray to God for his help this morning. Father, we are very thankful for your word and very in need of your spirit to help us. We pray that he would. In Jesus' good name, amen. I'll probably preach on this for a couple of weeks because there's a lot going on. There's really two almost completely separate things happening. The first is what happens with the sacrifice of Cain and Abel, and then what happens afterwards. And I think I'm going to preach this morning on what happens afterwards, and then next week we're going to deal with the wrong sacrifice. And the reason I want to do it that way and not the way it normally would be read is that I think most of the time we don't think we have anything in common with Cain in his murder of his brother. Because after all, none of us that I am aware of have killed anyone, let alone our sibling. And so we think that's a sin that I am quite clear of. We feel like the rich young ruler, Jesus says, you know, do these things. He says, I have kept the law from my youth. And we feel very in the clear when we read the story of Cain and Abel that we have nothing under the bed sheets hiding any sort of crime, that we have no smoking gun, that there is no weapon hidden, that there is no hatred that could ever, ever rise to the level of Cain. But to get there, we do have to deal a little bit with what happens beforehand when Cain brings his sacrifice in whatever manner he brought it, And God has no regard for him or his sacrifice. And so next week's sermon is going to be on proper worship of God. But almost always, not every single time, can you make a direct line, but almost always, real sin in horrible number and greatness is preceded by a rejection of God as God. That's the order of sin. You, you You don't get to murdering your brother by thinking God is good. You get to murdering your brother by hating God. And because you can't kill God, you kill your brother, who is in the image of God. And so almost all of our sins, in one way or another, come from this rejection of God as Lord, as Father, as good. And that's exactly what happens with Cain. When Cain's sacrifice is not accepted, he gets angry, and his face falls, and God says, Why are you angry? He asks a very similar question to Jonah, right? When Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh and the Ninevites repent, and afterwards Jonah's mad and angry, sitting on the hill, wishing that God would kill everybody. And then he doesn't, and God says, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah's like, I do well enough to die over it. And then God causes the plant to grow up and give him shade, and then he shrivels it up the next day. And Jonah gets even angrier, and God says again, Do you do well to be angry? Are there not more than 120,000 persons in that city? You don't know the right hand from the left, and also much cattle. It's very similar, very similar to the way God responds to Cain. Do you do, do, you do well to be angry? And the question is basically, I am God, and I do what I want, and I command what I want, and you have not done it. Why are you mad about that? 
Why are you upset that you have failed to do what I have commanded? Why would that make you angry? And we think we, we've never done anything like this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a hypothetical situation. Don't read too much into it. So my wife's birthday is in a couple of months. We rarely do anything for birthdays or anniversaries because we're lame. But let's say I decide to take my wife out for her birthday. And I decide because when I grew up, there was one restaurant that kind of epitomized like a big deal meal. And it was Red Lobster, right? If you went to Red Lobster, let me tell you, you spent some money and you really cared about the people you took to Red Lobster. You did not take some hobo to Red Lobster. You took the people you loved to Red Lobster and you treated them. And they got them Cheddar Bay biscuits and that fried fish. And it's a, it is, it still is like, if I think about what fancy dining is, it's not Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, it's Red Lobster, okay? That is how I grew up. Now, let's imagine that come my wife's birthday, I take her to Red Lobster. But what you don't know, what I know, and she knows, is that she doesn't like seafood. <laughs> right? But I'm like, listen, this is the way you show people you are loved where I come from. You take them to Kokomo and Red Lobster. Okay? You go. I remember my grandma Helt, who was poor. We went to Red Lobster. She took all us grandkids. I don't know how much that bill was, but knowing now what I know, that was an expensive bill because we did not order cheap things. We're like, oh, the giant 40-person platter? We'll each get one of those, and we'll get... But if I take my wife, and she doesn't like seafood, and then she orders chicken strips, do I have any right to be angry at her? And yet, what would happen? I would be be mad, right? I would think, I'd take her out to this nice restaurant. She could get lobster. She could get steak. She could get shrimp scampi. She could get fried fish. And she chooses chicken strips? But because it's her birthday, I wouldn't get mad directly at her. What would I do? I would make life hell for the waiter, right? I would just be mean and nasty. You you know, I'd like some more Cheddar Bay biscuits. Why didn't you get my... I would get mad at the other guy. Because, after all, I wouldn't want to get mad at my wife. It's her birthday. Okay, that's... It didn't happen, just so you know. It's not not happened because we just don't go out. But uh, very similar, right? The whole purpose of me taking my wife out on her birthday would be to please her. Her preferences would matter. Her desires would be the most important. Not what I think she should like, but what she actually likes. I should take her to an Indian restaurant or something. Something that I don't particularly like. And by particularly, I mean I don't like it. That would be me honoring my wife and her preferences and her choices. Even though it's not something I want to do. It's what I should do because it's her birthday. Not mine, not yours, hers. Okay, now let's let's broaden this out to God. God has not just preferences but commands of what he likes. He's not been unclear about it. He's not made it sort of muddy, like he might be happy with this thing and not that. He's made it abundantly clear the things that please him. 
and the things that don't. And so if we come to him and we're like, listen, where I come from, this is a really good thing. You should be happy I brought this to you. And God gets mad at us and says, no, we should not be angry at God because he has told us no. But oftentimes, oftentimes, we do get mad. We don't like God having preferences and commands. We like our preferences. And we think God should adapt. And the main way that we do this, in America anyway, is we think, we think the church, and Daryl and I were literally arguing about this an hour ago, which was why I was mostly laughing the whole time. We think in America that it should be our choice of whether to be in a church or not in a church. After all, it's just me and Jesus, and none of that other stuff matters. Except for God has been abundantly clear. Abundantly clear. If you don't belong to a church, and I don't mean necessarily formal membership, although I think that is the best way. If you're not part of a church, you are displeasing God. And he is not happy with you. And so if you think you can live 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years as a Christian without ever belonging to a church... He's not happy. He's not happy. Now, you could take one of two responses. You could continue in your way. You could get angry about it. Or you could join a church. Those are are the three things. And most people, if you talk to them, are actually angry about it. They're not part of a church because they're mad. And who are they mad at? Who do they say they're mad at? The people, right? So-and-so, this guy, this pastor, this church... It's always the people that they're mad at. It's never God. They they would never be mad at God. And that's the reason they're not in church. Because everybody knows it's stupid to be mad at God. And yet, the reason people aren't in church isn't because the pastor was bad or they got in a fight with that guy or they saw a church split. The reason is because they just don't think it's good, even though God has said it is. And so they despise God. That's who they're actually mad at. Now, this is very difficult to get across to people, obviously. And God, when he questions Cain, doesn't get it across to Cain either, even though he is a perfect questioner. God didn't ask the wrong question. He didn't misspeak. He He was misunderstood. Cain didn't get it. When God said, do you do well to be angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, won't you be accepted? He's saying, listen, the problem is right here, Cain. Me and you, that's the problem. Not your brother. Your brother is not the problem. His righteousness, his good sacrifice, not the problem. You and me, that's the problem. And Cain's like, nope. I know what the problem is. My brother is a problem. His stupid, hoity-toity person. That's the problem, and I'm going to end the problem. I can't kill God. I can't be mad at God because that's stupid. I can be mad at my brother, and I can kill him. So that's what happened. That's the, that's the movement of sin. We go from hatred of God to hatred of man because to kill God is an impossible task. And so we hate each other. We fight with each other. We steal from each other. We lie about each other. We find ways to mistreat each other because we hate God. Now, as a Christian... That seems a little bit high-handed of me to say that you hate God. And I agree. 
As a Christian, you do not hate God. You love God. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is good. And you go to Him, and you are forgiven by Him, and you trust in Him. But there are lots of ways that we despise God as a Christian. We grieve His Holy Spirit. We have ways of getting around the problem of not doing what God would have us to do by ignoring the fact that God has told us to do certain things or to believe certain things. And it spills out into things. It spills out into actual other sins. So what are the sins that mark the American church? What are the sins? Well, if you had to spell it out, I think basically two things are the marks, the sins of the American church. One is greed. We like big, gaudy churches. We like money. We like pastors who drive nice cars because it means we're paying him well. We like a pastor who is fat. Wait, that doesn't work. We like, we like a pastor who is thin because it means he spends time caring for his body and not the souls of us because, my goodness, we don't want him touching us with his fat hands. That doesn't mean a pastor shouldn't be fit. It does mean that we have to actually care about the things that matter, but we don't in the American church. We like money and stuff and things. And you think, well, Joe, that's not us. Look at our church building. Look at us. We ain't those people. But I assure you, it is us. Not in the same way it's the guy down the street or up the street or wherever you're thinking right now is the perfect pinnacle of that sin, but in different ways. In different ways we do this. I was talking to some friends of mine just a few weeks ago who were having some difficulties with their church and uh, a new elder was put into place, a new pastor was hired. That is not good. Um, that I know personally and this couple that I know knows personally and we've known this guy who got hired as their pastor for 20 plus years. And I said to them, right as I left their house, as soon as you think maybe we should send our money to some other place or some other ministry or not to your own church you have a major problem and yet we're very content to do that sort of thing we're very content to do that sort of thing we send our money anywhere but the place that we are at odds with we show our contempt for ministry by withholding funds and we do it because ostensibly we don't like this or that or the other the way that money was spent, the way it wasn't spent, the thing that was bought, the thing that wasn't bought, we withhold. We pull our money strings and our money bags tight. And I have no idea when this has happened, how it's happened, but I can assure you, having been a man now for 38 years, that I too have felt that pressure to withdraw, to give a little less to this ministry, to pull back because I disagree with a decision, a thought, So that's that. There are many other ways that we fall into that trap. But then Cain's sin wasn't money. Cain didn't sin by, you know, buying his brother out or spending and, you know, building a bigger house. He sinned against his brother by murdering him. And that is actually the other big sin in the American church that we don't like to talk about. I've talked about it, and it makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. 
And it's this sin of being completely complacent when it comes to birth control and abortion and what a person and a family and a couple does in the privacy of their own home. There, there is blood on our hands in the American church for our quietness, our not opening our mouths to stop the blood, and by encouraging families in our churches to stop. To, to, by encouraging in our families and our churches to use means that murder babies. And we maybe haven't thought of it like that, but things like birth control, the pill, or a, a, other various means of those sorts of things, those are intended to make a woman childless. And they do that in a couple of ways, and one of the ways that they do that is by making it impossible for an, a conceived egg, six, seven days old, to get implanted in the womb of the mother. They make it an inhospitable environment. What's inhospitable? Unwelcoming. Not good. Unfit. And we clap and we applaud children or couples who don't give themselves over to lots of children. Because after all, we need to be stewards. We need to be we need to make sure that we are in tune with how God will provide through us. And what it really reveals is the second sin that's the mark of the church today, and that's greed. We think, actually, that God cannot provide for a large family by modest means. And so we encourage instead families to adopt a practice that murders children. And then we just pretend like it doesn't happen. We don't ask questions of our children and grandchildren. Why aren't you having children? Why aren't you having children? Because that is not dinner table conversation. It's not. I know it's not had those sorts of conversations. It's impolite. It's ugly. It feels bad. But these are the conversations that we have to have. Because Cain's sin is not just fratricide, murder of brother. Cain's sin is murder. And we participate in it. We do it by being completely like Cain and saying, but Joe... Joe, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, it's their sin. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> I mean, if they want to do that, hands off. I, but that is not the way of the church. It's not the way of the church. The church is meant to help brothers and sisters not go off the cliff to not be like Cain. To actually stop their hands from murder. We're not here just to get along. This is Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest, which probably in this context means eternal paradise, heaven, with God, 
While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Seem to have failed to reach it. How do we know whether someone is a Christian or not? How do we know? Well, there are lots of things that give us tips. But good fruit is the main one, right? You will know a tree by its fruit, God says. And so if a person's life is marked by continually sinning in atrocious ways, they have a very slim chance of reaching the rest of God. They will not seem to have made it. That doesn't mean they might not make it and God might not save them despite their sins and despite the horror of them. But it does mean that we can know that some people seem to have not made it. That we can use our eyes and we can go, this is not going well. It's not going well. And the American church largely leaves the two sins, greed and murder, untouched in our pews. Untouched in people's hearts. Untouched because to do so would make people angry. Because we're telling them what God has required of them. Commanded them. Spoken plainly about And he has spoken plainly about many things. One of them being families. He did not stutter when he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He didn't mean to say, be fruitful and multiply and have as many children as you can educate. He didn't almost mean to say, be fruitful and multiply as long as you feel comfortable. He didn't mean to say, be fruitful and multiply as long as you have a big enough house. He didn't mean to say, be fruitful and multiply as long as you can afford a big enough van. He didn't mean to say, be fruitful and multiply as long as anything. He actually finished the statement and gave the end. Fill the earth. That's the actual command. And so people have accused me of saying... Two people, have as many children as you possibly can. Although I don't like the phrasing of that, because it sounds as though your only purpose in life is to have children, I do think it's basically the right understanding of God's clear text. He didn't say, be fruitful and multiply until you've had enough. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And if you stop... And it reveals, almost always, that stopping reveals the second sin. The first sin, actually, that I talked about. The greed of the American church. We don't have children because we don't actually believe God is true and right and godly. When he says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. We don't believe it. We look and despise the Africans because they have all these children Even when they become Christians, they keep having babies. And we think, why they're so dirt poor, they can't even feed themselves. Why are they having children? Don't they know better? We could hand them condoms, and then they would be all fixed up over in Africa. We could educate the children they have. We could tell them to not have any more. And then they would really have something in Africa. And we despise them because they're poor. And they don't have anything. We think... Stop having those babies. 
And if you think it's just the Africans that we despise, I can assure you it's the Hispanics here. I know all of you, and I know me. How many of us have had the thought of, I don't know how many more people they can have in that house. How many of us have thought that, said that, believed that? I know I have. Because we actually don't like the command of God to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth when we think they can't possibly responsibly care for all those children. As though it's really them that does it. God, God will provide. He will. He absolutely will. Without a doubt, He will. There is absolutely no way that he won't because he has promised it and he is faithful and he is good and he is true. And then the white people, right? Do we ever say that to white people? Oh, I can assure you, we say it to white people. We have five children. If you think we've never gotten a look or a statement or a you're, you're dancing up the wrong tree. It happens all the time, and it happens in subtle ways. I was talking about this several, a couple months ago. We have to be very careful with our language and what it's actually saying, what it actually says. Because oftentimes we think it's just innocuous, the things we say, but really it's revealing bigger things about what we believe. And so things have been said uh, about... Provision, you know. How are you going to provide for those children? Will they be able to go to college? How are you going to afford a car for all those kids? This is not from people out there. This is from people in the church. And it's very easy to say those things. It's very easy to say those things. But I want to urge you to remember that you are not so far removed from Cain. Cain despised the word of God and got angry about it and therefore killed his brother. We despise God's word in many ways as Christians. And we may not actually physically murder our brothers, which is good, and we shouldn't. But we encourage parents to murder their children in these various ways. By not encouraging them in the goodness and truth of God's good word to us. We try to make it seem as though he hasn't said it so clearly. Well, you know. And we always trot out the one instance of when it's actually acceptable, right? We'll always trot out the, what if the mother is dying giving childbirth and comes this close to death? Well, of course you want to care for your wife. And it may be the responsible thing to do to have her tubes tied or to have a vasectomy so that you don't injure your wife by having children. Of course. Of course. Of course there are actual reasons that you should stop having children that have to do with actually loving people. But nobody actually does that in the real world. Because that is a tiny fraction of a tiny fraction of people. Because even though childbirth is cursed and it's painful, in the modern era, since modern medicine, 
Mothers don't die that often in childbirth anymore, nor do children. And you look at the faith of our forefathers who did not have modern medicine and the graveyards that are full of wives and children. Do you despise their faith when they had children, when they knew that death might come? Do you? I think we do. I think we very much do. We would never say it. We would never say, you know, if they would have just stopped, they wouldn't have all died. We would never say it like that. But we encourage our parents to not have them so that they won't all die, as though that's the more faithful thing to do. It's not more faithful. We have much to learn from our predecessors. I have much to learn from my predecessors. We have the same problem as Cain. We get mad at God and what he has said. And I've just used this as the most typical example. There are many other sins in the American church where God has spoken clearly, unambiguously, without stutter, without misstep. And we kind of go, well, okay, but what about, you know, this thing and the other? Listen, God is clear. He, he is clear because he knows that we are simple people. We could not deal with the complexity of God's mind. And so he just went, here it is, plain as day, this is the thing. To make it as easy as possible. And so it's just like when he dealt with Cain. Cain, Cain, look at me. Look at me, Cain. Here's the thing. Do you do well to be angry? Jonah. Well, yes, I do well with him. You were merciful to Nineveh, and they're awful. Cain, Cain. Sin is just right there. It's going to consume you. Look up and fix this. Fix this. I got other things to do. I got other things to do. I got other things to do. I will not. I will not. That person over there, that's the problem. I would be fine with God if it wasn't for that guy. I would be fine with God if it wasn't for this thing. I would be fine with God if it wasn't for that. And instead of actually dealing with the problem with you and God, you dispel it out onto us, the image bearers of God, in various ways. And the American church, just like the American culture, is greedy and murderous. And we must repent. We must repent. When we spend time each Sunday praying together that God would forgive us of our sins, this is what we're reminding each other of. That our sins are not solely us that are affected. Think about this sin of Cain. It begins, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. What did she mean by that? She meant a savior. She's quoting out of the curse on herself that the seed would be the one to save. And at the end of Genesis 4, if you don't believe me, Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed to me another offspring, another seed, instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So she gave birth to Cain and Abel and she thought these From these loins will come the Savior. And then Cain killed his brother. And so therefore both wombs, both men were out of the lineage of Christ. 
the sin of Cain was not just against his brother. It was against all humanity. He tried to wipe out the God who saves. But God was not surprised. And God appointed another. Now, the American church has prided itself for 250 years on being the bastion child of God. We are the saviors of the world. We are proud of it. We act as though we alone have the way to the gospel. At some point, our sins will catch up. And God will appoint another to save the world. Another church that we despise, like the Africans or the Chinese. Or some other land that we don't even know of yet. That we'll despise because they're not like us. And we'll think, well, we are the chosen. We are the ones. Not if you're wicked. God will spew you out. He will spew us out. He is spewing us out. The American church is in ruptures over these sins. Every denomination is in ruptures over it. Conservative and liberal. It's not just the PCUSA. It's the PCA. It's not just the American Baptists. It's the Southern Baptists. It's not just the ELCA, the Liberal Lutheran. It's the New Conservative Lutheran. It's not the United Methodist and the New Methodists. It's both of them. And if we're not careful, guarding the way, it will be Evangel Presbytery. Our church. The sins are not out there coming at us. Sins are right here within us. Let's fight against it. Let's confess our sins. Let's actually believe what God has said on all fronts, without doubting, without fear, and encourage our children and our grandchildren to believe it. Talk to them. Ask them why there aren't more grandbabies. I think that's all I have today. Let's let's pray and we'll stand and sing our last hymn. Father, we are grateful for your word.